You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a Friday episode of the Locked On Utes podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Another win for the team of confusion. Yes, we're going to talk a lot of basketball in this episode, including Pella Larson. What was the impact of his game last night? And who was the unsung hero of the game and the last few games as well? We'll also give some quick updates on some football news, including Veltre Jefferson officially being let go from his NLI, a former Ute getting a new job in Florida, and an update on the coaching staff at the University of Utah that you may have missed with all the confusion of 2020. All that and more as we're riding high after a big Utah win against Arizona here on a Friday on the Locked on Utes podcast for Friday, February 5th, 2021. Welcome back in, Utah fans, Utah family. Great to have you here on a Friday. There is nothing better than a victory Friday, and that was a massive win for the University of Utah basketball team last Thursday, last night, Thursday night, Thursday evening. It's five o'clock starts get me so confused. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. I kind of like coming home and and with the Jazz going early and the Utes going early, and my night's over by 9 p.m. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I had free time for once. And so we're going to really break this game down a lot. It was, there were a few things that I really wanted to get to. The first, I think I'll just go right into it right now. And that was the performance of Pella Larson. I talked about it on Thursday night. And listen, gang, I know what you come here for. You come here for the tremendous news updates from Jake Hatch. The reporting, the producing power the artisticness of Jake's ability to to guide a conversation. You come here for my football analysis, and that's pretty much it. That's about all I add to the podcast. But let me tell you something. While football will always be my true love, basketball is my mistress. And this has been one of my favorite seasons of Utah basketball in recent memory. I know that everybody's going to look at me crazy and and say what you're you're nuts how is this a good season and the it's always the intrigue for me that draws me in it is they they say it's the hope that kills you on, on Ted Lasso but i actually think it's it's the hope and and seeing that hope come to fruition that really makes these kinds of years exciting to me where you really don't know what you have in a basketball team now i'm not going to go crazy and try and tell you that mediocre seasons are more fun than winning seasons. I thought the year that Utah went to the NIT was actually a really fun year as well because they just continued to win and they went and played in a championship, albeit not the right championship per most expectations, but it was still a championship. And listen, when, when you're in sports long enough, you know that wins are wins and championships are championships and rings are rings. And I'm going to celebrate every single ring and every single banner that we can hang in the Huntsman Center because we just don't hang a lot of them anymore. And and for understandable reasons, right? Like the, the scene has changed a lot at Utah in the past 20 years since Rick Majerus was the head coach. As an aside, if you haven't listened to the fourth episode of the Rogues, Rogue Bogues podcast, 
Andrew Bogut's podcast. He goes really in-depth into his season playing under Rick Majerus, what transpired during that season, all the things that Rick was doing, the breakdown, why he fled for Santa Barbara, why the team was told that he had a heart attack, and what really was happening behind the scenes. It's a fascinating listen. And the biggest draw that I came away with was that Utah is just going to have a very, very hard time getting back to everything that Rick Majerus was doing up at the hill in order to make that team win like they did. We've talked about it before. I don't want to get into it right now because I think the more important part about it is celebrating what the Utes did tonight, and that was win. This season has been exciting to me because it's we've seen this team overcome a lot of different challenges. We've seen them grow and progress. And the one player that I was probably most excited about coming into this season was my man, the Swish and Swede, Pella Larson. Now, all puns aside, and he has elevated his game immensely I thought that Pella Larson was the key to tonight's victory for a couple of different reasons one he was two for three from behind the three-point arc two for two from the free throw line he had 14 points he had three rebounds four assists he had two turnovers but four steals in 27 minutes some of that mitigated a little bit by some foul trouble But I thought that Larson, every chance that he had, gave Arizona fits. And there was one particular play where I believe it was Brandon Carlson, maybe it was Riley Batten or Mickey Yonson, and I can't remember specifically. They came out to set the screen to to Larson to, to send him to the middle, and he immediately read it, took the ball baseline, and laid it up for an easy two point bucket. And that is something that we really haven't seen at the University of Utah in a minute is a decisive wing scorer who can get to the basket and make plays on his own and keep defenses guessing so they don't always go to the same spots and always meet the players at the rim. I think that's one problem that Timmy Allen has late in games is that he just doesn't have enough in his arsenal in his bag of tricks. And so as he drives to the basket, teams will start to cut him off and he either doesn't throw the ball away, teammates aren't on the move enough to get the ball whipping around like you see with some of these elite level NBA offenses Golden State Warriors come to mind. Obviously, the Utah Jazz for people who watch watch them locally. The the Utes just don't do that well enough yet. I think some of it's just inexperience. You know, the more you play basketball, the better you get at finding the right spots. I was listening to uh, Marcus Spears talk to Scott Van Pelt today on on Sports Center, and he mentioned talking about how as you get older, you get better at creating space and using your skills to create space. He was talking about football, but I also think it's true in basketball. I think there's a lot of correlation between the two. And I think what Pella Larson has the ability to do is to create that space with his game alone. I don't know that there's been a player at Utah that has the athleticism and the skill set and the the basketball knowledge like Pella Larson does to be able to create his own shot like that. And his emergence where he's starting to score a little bit more, he's starting to improve his game, is only going to help this team going forward. I also had a conversation with a friend, and we were discussing who the best on-the-ball defender was. And my argument is that pound for pound, Pella Larson is the best defender that the University of Utah has. I do believe that there is some... Credit to be handed to Brandon Carlson for his rim protection. I think Timmy Allen is a pretty good defender. But four steals tonight for Pella Larson. He is an excellent on-ball defender. He defends really well. He moves his feet. He has good position. We saw him block McKinley Wright's shot at the end of the Colorado game. Just overall, he is, in my opinion, the best defender at the University of Utah. So you combine his offensive ability, his athleticism, and that defense, and he becomes one of these critical pieces for the Utes. 
In True Confession, I also mentioned that I thought Alfonso Plummer was a very critical piece. And that was true in the first half. He wasn't shooting great from beyond the arc. And I still think that the Utes really need to do a better job of getting him easy buckets. The way Jerry Sloan used to with Jeff Hornacek and Kyle Korver, where they could get a shot that was easy and comfortable and see him make it go through so that they could have some confidence right off the bat, especially with him coming in off the bench. I think it's one of those things that Plummer really needs to get where he gets an easy look. So he's not just firing up threes trying to see one go in. He was only 2-for-7 from the three-point line, 5-for-13 overall in the field, but he did have 13 points, 9 of that in the first half. And that was very critical because it kept the Utes in the match against Arizona. And then they started to really just defend well and pull away. And that was that's one area where Plummer, I feel like, is he's a net negative, if I'm being honest. I do think that he has the ability to mitigate his poor defense with steals and, and being a little bit sneaky and that kind of thing. But there were a few plays where if you get him in the pick and roll, you're just done. And I thought that Riley Batten, I thought that Brandon Carlson, I thought that some of the bigs did a really good job of trying to cover for that. But at the end of the day, they just didn't have enough oomph. And that's where I think Pella Larson becomes super critical for this team. He can defend almost one through four just with his size and his athleticism against a team like Arizona, probably just one through three. But that helps a lot with teams that want to do pick and roll and, and you have to switch and things like that. We saw it against Colorado where he could switch on McKinley Wright and still make a great play. And, and Larry mentioned that in the post game that, that the plan was to switch everything. And with modern basketball, that's kind of what you have to do. And so I felt like Pella Larson really needed to start emerging. He needed to start becoming the star of this team as they go forward. And I don't mean star is in the main player because I think – Timmy Allen is, is still the leader. I think he's still the guy that's that's got to kind of initiate everything, initiate the action, initiate the scoring, set the tone, etc. But I think Pella is unique in his ability to take players off the dribble, his ability to defend, and he is, in my opinion, the biggest star on the court right now. Uh, he is the guy with the most NBA potential, without a doubt. And when he's shooting like he did tonight, that's when he's really just – a great contributor to the Utes because the defense, the hustle plays, the smart basketball plays are always there. Another player that I want to identify as we're talking about things right now is Riley Batten. I think he's been a critical piece with what Utah's tried to do. And not all of it has been in the scoring department, although he has been on a tear lately. Last four games, he's had 12, 15, 9, and 10 points tonight and has shot 8 of 13 from three-point range. With a team like Utah, who is a good shooting team, but not the way that you think, They're, they do not shoot well from, from the arc, albeit Timmy Allen did hit a three tonight. Obviously, Pella Larson was two of three, and, and Riley did shoot really well, uh, has been shooting really well, I should say, from the three-point stripe. Two for two last night. He is doing more on the defensive end in terms of his rotations, the way that he's rebounding, the way that he's playing super smart and unselfish basketball. I think for a long time that was kind of the inner battle with him is was he going to be a good teammate and and help do the little things to get his teammates free and to defend. And I think he started to do that tonight, had three rebounds, uh, 12 points, you know, just solid 100% from the free throw line, 100% from three, three of six from the field. But 
in those late game situations where Utah is in foul trouble and they've lost Yontanen, Larson has four, Rylan Jones has four, Brandon Car- Brandon Carlson has four. He stepped in and he played a heck of a game. And he's not always the one getting the rebounds, but he's making the right rotations on defense and he's boxing out. And he's playing with effort, and he's playing as part of the team. And I think that's the biggest thing that this game showed tonight is that Utah is now finally starting to play like a team. And I think the difficult part of this season is the first game that we saw them play was against Washington, and they looked phenomenal. They looked great. And so we all had this assumption like, wow, this team's going to be really good. I think the problem with that is that we didn't – I maybe I'm using the Royal we too much here. I saw that game. I thought that the, the the cohesion had already been formed, and then they struggled through the next few games, and I think it was really evident against BYU that this just wasn't a team yet, and I think some of that is due to COVID. I, I don't think there's any argument against that. They didn't practice hardly at all in November, very few practices in December, along with you know having to shut down the program because of false positive with the holidays and everything else that was going on. It was just a really difficult time for them to get rolling. They've now had a full month where they can practice together. There's no interruptions. It's been consistent. And lo and behold, they're just, they're beating some of the top teams in the conference. Arizona was fourth. This is a very good Arizona team and they made them look pedestrian. As, as someone noted, Arizona's not very good without five-star recruits getting paid all the time. And I think Utah really showcased a lot of that defensively. They were very impressive. It was a really tough night for uh, Akinjo. He did not shoot great from the field. You know, t- two of nine. He went two for three from the three-point stripe, uh, but just not a great effort overall from him by comparison. Only ten points. Uh, I thought that the team responded well to Kerr Kreisa entering the lineup for the first time. He's a really highly touted player, and and you can see that there's some potential there I also thought that they just did a really good job of of defending Arizona this was a much longer team obviously it's a team that's got some better athletes I thought that uh, Sean Miller saying in the post game that they kicked our butt and that their defense was much more physical and aggressive was a very apt summation of what Utah did all night and it was apparent in the box score 73 points isn't a ton not by any stretch, but to be able to win scoring 73 points and, and holding your opponent to 58 and and everything else that they, they were able to do is just a proud accomplishment. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about a certain point in the game that I felt like was, was kind of the point that we see them melt down in the past, but they played through it and really stepped up. But first, we're going to talk about my favorite new pastime. That's gambling. Yeah, I'm not a gambler. Not by any stretch, but I'm having a lot of fun with bet online. And some of that is because I can do things like parlays. So I can throw down five or 10 bucks and I can pick three lines. I can pick uh, three games. I can choose NBA. I can choose college basketball. I can mix and match. I can throw all these things together and I can throw five or 10 or 15 or however much money I want in them. And there's a potential to win a lot more. And, and I love parlays because parlays give me a lot more, a lot more to root in. You know, I, I think that it's uh, a little bit more entertaining, gives you some variety, you know, and, and the payout is always good. But the best part about bet online is that they have a little bit of everything for everyone. 
Bet Online has a bunch of different prop bets that you can use to kind of watch the game because you're not really watching the game. You're eating snacks. You're talking to people. You're, you're doing whatever. The, the game's kind of on in the background. It's more like the party or the event. And I love the prop bets because I think it, it makes uh, other aspects of the game more exciting to me. I, the breakdown stuff during the game is, is always difficult for me because maybe it's my ADD, but I always feel like I'm distracted. Maybe it's the the pizza and the wings and everything else that I'm eating. Who knows? Hard to, hard to really say when so much of my favorite stuff is happening all at once. But some of my favorite props, Andy Reid mask design, 20 to 1, it's a Chiefs branded logo, 7 to 2, single color, no logo, 7 to 1, that it's Hawaiian themed. Another fascinating prop bet, will Miley Cyrus side boob be seen during TikTok tailgate pregame show? If you're betting on no, that's probably the better bet so far. Coach to have Nostril seen first during game. And I think this might be the only year that that might actually be a bet because with COVID and masks and everything else we got going on and, and oh boy, what I just don't think we're ever going to have a bet like this ever again. The favorite for that one is definitely Bruce Arians. Uh, I would definitely put my money on Bruce. Let's hope that Andy Reid pops out with something spectacular for his mask or his Iron Man mask or whatever he does. But the fun part about it is you can go place a wager at betonline.ag. You get a 50% sign-up bonus when you use the promo code locked on for your first deposit. It's betonline.ag, promo code locked on. Get 50% of your initial deposit free. Gamble, have fun, use the prop bets, enjoy it. It's all there at BetOnline, the sportsbook experts. Switching back to Utah basketball, I wanted to talk about one particular play in the second half that I thought was kind of the measuring stick for the Utes. Arizona had started to fight back into it a little bit, and it was starting to look like Utah was going to pull the old, hey, we're going to fall apart here in the second half and give up the game. And it was the play where Ryland Jones got called for an offensive foul, and they went, to, they cut to commercial and then came back and showed the review because it was a terrible call. And you, if if you follow me on Twitter, you know me. Like I understand, officials can never be blamed for the outcome. That that just is what it is. But that was such a terrible call, and I felt like it was a moment where Utah really could have been falling apart. They could have melted down. They could have let go of the rope and completely lost control of the game. Utah was up sixty-two to forty-six at that point, and then obviously the foul call, the timeout. They come out and and. Uh, Tubilis makes the two free throws, so now it's 62-48, to 48, and Utah comes right back down and gets the layup from Riley Batten. And they continue to lead by 16, then by 15, then by 14, and gets all the way down to 10 points with 322 left. And then Pella Larson comes in and makes a layup, and that was kind of the stemming of whatever tide Arizona had left. And while they traded buckets here and there a little bit, it was just that was the end of the game for the most part. And, and Utah went up uh, by 18 there when Pella Larson made his final three. And obviously, Akinjo hits a three at the end of the game to cut it to 15. But I thought that was a very critical moment because that's a time where Utah could have let go of the rope, as I said earlier. They could have given up or, or 
thought in their minds, okay, well, here we go. It's another second half fall apart, but they didn't. They hung in there. They fought with it as Arizona tried to make a charge, and it wasn't the prettiest of efforts, but they stayed in the fight, and that's the part about this team that I think is really impressive with everything that they've been through is that they're actually getting better at that. They're showing more grit than they have in the past, and I think that's a very, very important note as we're talking about this team and its growth and they're proving that they can beat good basketball teams. In early on in the season, I was curious if they really could hang with the top level of the Pac-12. Against Oregon, it seemed like they just didn't have the horsepower to hang with the Ducks. Against Washington, it was clearly self-inflicted errors that caused that one. Cal was another one where they had a second-half collapse. And uh, Larry Kay said at the end of the game that it was rooted in the fact that they were tired that they didn't have the legs and I think some of that is reasonable because it was such a weird four game stretch I think it was four games in nine or ten days it they did not have a lot of time off and you could kind of see the effort wane but it looked more to me like they just didn't have the energy emotionally to keep fighting through that one and maybe it was the extra time off. Maybe it was Arizona getting tired. It's hard to say with some of that stuff. And now that Utah's now had two games postponed against Arizona State, also really hard to say what kind of an effect that has on them. But they are playing well, and they're fighting through it, and they're starting to close. And we saw this happen more and more ever since the Washington three turnovers to close out the last two minutes. They were much better against Colorado. They were good again tonight that this team is starting to grow and gel and and be a little have a little bit of a killer instinct at the end of games and it's not everybody is playing perfectly i think that's obvious when you look out on the court but they have confidence and they believe in themselves and you're getting better performances from some of your role players like Riley Batten i think Mickey Antonin's finding his role a little bit more. Brandon Carlson is definitely playing better than he has at the start of the year. And you're seeing all these guys improve from week to week to week. And I think that's a really positive outcome. And I, I get more excited about this team because they're beating the, the upper echelon of the Pac-12. And in a year of craziness, and I know we're into 2021 and whatever, but I feel like this is still 2020 in terms of the season rolling over. Why not this year that you go and roll through the Pac-12 tournament? I, I don't think there's a team out there, and we'll find out in these next few weeks, but I don't think there's a team out there that the University of Utah can't compete with, that they can't go toe-to-toe with. And in years past, it's always been the quote-unquote home court advantage of Arizona with Arizona fans flocking to Las Vegas and basically owning the arena and bad draws and bad matchups. And I don't know that that's the same this year. Utah has been in every single game against the top-tier opponents. They've beaten Stanford. They've beaten Colorado. They've now beaten Arizona. They have a chance to get even with UCLA and USC coming into Salt Lake City. And fingers crossed that there aren't any issues with COVID as those games happen because I think Utah has the potential to make some movement in the standings. And it's probably not super important in terms of the seeding. We'll have to wait and see. And, And I'm super curious to find out if they make up those ASU games. This season has been bizarre for a lot of factors. Arizona State being so low in the standings is one of them. It's kind of it, it's not kind of a surprise. It's a huge surprise to me. Uh, but I think that given everything that Utah's been through, it's really 
encouraging to see that the team is still focused. And and regardless of what you think of the people in charge and the people calling the plays and the people in the huddle, you need to be rooting for these kids. These kids represent the program. They represent the university. They've been through a tough, tough stretch. We all have. And so I think we could all use a little bit of extra positivity as we're cheering for this team. And I know if that makes me a, you know, a, a positive Pete or whatever you want to call me. I, I can't come up with anything better. I, I'm also very disappointed in myself. I'm sorry. Uh, so be it. But I'm okay playing that role because I think that this team has elements to it that are worth watching and, and they're competing more now than they were at the beginning of the year and that's a rarity and they're coming more into their own and really developing and we're starting to see some great things from some of the players out there as as I mentioned and and this team statistically is not a great uh, offensive team in, in terms of being able to light you up from outside the arc but they really are good inside the key. They were 17 of 24 on layups tonight. And guess what? Layups still count as points. I, I think that too often we look at uh, this squad and we point at the fact that they can't hit very well from three. And then that's the main reason that they're not going to be an offensive juggernaut. And they're proving otherwise because they're getting tight shots. They're getting close shots to the basket and they're making them. And that, it, that matters too. When we talk about analytics, three-point shots obviously are worth more than two-point shots. And the the rule of thumb is that if you can hit it 40%, that you're going to outlast most teams. But the other aspect, the flip side of that statistic, is that if you can shoot 50% or better at the rim, that's also equal to having a great outside shooting team. And Utah just doesn't have a great outside shooting team right now. One of your best three-point shooters is scuffling right now. Riley Batten is starting to hit. Pella Larson is starting to hit. We really don't know what we're going to get with Al Fuego from game to game. I talked about it earlier. I think if you can get him an open look and a good shot that he can see drop, that's going to help him a lot. But he's not afraid to shoot, and so he's going to get shots up no matter what. So you've got to be efficient with the rest of your shooting, and I think they're finding their rhythm in terms of getting to the basket, getting free throws. I think Timmy Allen's always been great at that. And they're finding ways to be efficient on offense. And if you combine that with their ability to defend, they're now rebounding much better. They're playing against teams that should be out rebounding them, and they're hanging with them. And that's another good sign that they're getting much better at rebounding. And and so I think all these combinations mean that this team is still worth watching. It's still worth paying attention to. I get it if you checked out. I'm never going to be the guy that's going to point the finger and say, no, you got to stay in the fight forever. Like Being a fan is hard. You, you have zero control over what's going on in the court. You're emotional. It's a very charged uh, situation. You don't have control over the outcome, so it can be very frustrating. So if you need to take a break, take some time off, I'm great with that. I'll never be the one to, you know, to harp on people for, for doing that kind of a thing. I think it's great to step away from time to time. But if you're like me and you enjoy the story arc, if you have questions about this team, if you're curious about what the future is, what the ceiling is, this is a team that's worth watching. And I think I've tried to out, outline why I think that is. I think they're improving mentally. I think they're becoming more gritty, more tough. Their defense is physical. They're much more cohesive. The effort is much more consistent. And I think... Jake and I talked about it after the Wazoo game, that that was the first time that we saw consistent defensive effort 
from start to finish. And now they're in the habit of doing that every single game. It's become consistent and it's allowed them to come back against Colorado. It allowed them to beat Arizona. And I'll be very curious to see how it continues to keep them in the fight as they play, as they go on this four game road trip for one against Oregon, Oregon state, Cal and Stanford. That's a chance to really prove how far you've come against some of the higher echelon teams. And especially you want to go to Cal and seal and back from the bears because you really, that was one that you really should not have dropped. Um, even if you're tired in that respect, I, I listen, I can understand as a coach why you're saying that hundred percent, your guys are tired and you need to be an ally for your guys, especially when all the negativity and the bad stuff is swirling around your program. From my perspective, that that should never be an excuse when you're a 21 year old basketball player. Uh, and if if that was the reason, then you need to go to some of your depth with Larry, which Larry is starting to do. We're seeing him play Ian Martinez more. We're seeing Lahat Toon play more. It's clear that Toon has the physical tools. It's the mental aspect where he is just still thinking through everything. And and as long as you're thinking out on the court, it doesn't matter how fast you move. You're always going to be slow. So. If you're like me and you buy into the hype and the positivity and and you like to see a team evolve, a team grow, a team develop, a team transition from average to good or from good to great, I don't think this team is a tournament team per se, but I think they are evolving into the kind of team that could do well in an NCAA tournament. And that's why I'm really looking forward to this next four-game stretch and seeing what they do in the Pac-12 tournament because this is a team that's had a lot of struggles. And even Sean Miller noted that this has been a tough year for Utah, and they fought through it. And I feel like the roster is more cohesive. There's there's better relationships on the court. Guys are starting to identify their roles a little bit more. And as long as that's the case, then I feel that this University of Utah team is absolutely worth, worth investing in. While we're on the subject of investing, I'm not going to tell you to go buy Dogecoin. I'm not going to go tell you what stocks to buy. This isn't any Wall Street bets. I'm going to tell you what you do need to invest in. That's your car. Because it doesn't matter what you do with the fun money. The way that you get that money is by going to work every single day. Some of you work from home, but guess what? You still got to pick up the kids. You got to drop them off at school. You got to go get your groceries. You've got to go... escape society and go skiing or, or whatever your escape is. So you need to take care of your car. And the best way to take care of it is by ordering your parts and everything else that you need to take care of your vehicle from rockauto.com. I grew up in a family where the only mechanic you called was your father. And I grew up working on my car all the time. It's something that I enjoy doing, but it saves me a lot of money. And especially in this industry where I'm still fighting to have a voice and to have a platform and everything like that. I got to pinch my pennies every place I can. That's why I've been ordering all these parts from Rock Auto. I got to keep Hightower looking clean and driving mean wherever I'm at on the road so that when sports do come back and we can cover them, I can go to all the spring practices for Utah. I can go to the football games. I can go to the high school camps. I can do everything that I need to do to bring you guys the best University of Utah Athletics content that I possibly can with get lacrosse back, all that kind of stuff. And so Hightower is going to be the only way that I'm going to be able to get there. I'm keeping him looking good. I'm keeping him running clean with rockauto.com. I got my fuel injector cleaner the other day. We're going to do an oil change coming up here. The headlights are nice and clean. I don't think the interior of my car has ever been cleaner, especially after the whole salad seat incident. 
So be like me, invest some extra dollars in making sure your car is tip top shape. Go to rockauto.com. They can save you anywhere from 30 to 50 to sometimes even 100%. Uh, of the cost of what you're going to pay in a brick and mortar store. It's a family owned company. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years now. Go to rockauto.com. Make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that w- they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. That's going to wrap it up for us today. Just some quick news and notes here. As I mentioned at the opening, Veltre Jefferson was officially let go from his NLI. The rumor on the street right now is that he wants to stay closer to home. The obvious choice with that would be Fresno State, and I have no idea what's going on at Fresno State right now. Uh, But he did ask to be released from his NLI. I wish him the best of luck. I I think for these kids, it is a very, very tough decision deciding where to go to school. I'm in my 30s, and I had a recent decision come up that I've talked about a little bit on here. And it took me a long time to decide. And I I still wasn't even sure as I made that decision which direction I was going to go. And so for these younger kids, you wish him the best. Release him from his NLI. It's an absolute shame that he won't come up to the University of Utah because he's a tremendous athlete and I really really respected his game but Utah will be fine they've managed to work through just about every single loss and as as devastating as the news about Brian Thompson was the day of they're gonna work through it and and the transfer portal is a game changer Kyle Whittingham has embraced it he's mentioned as much in his comments uh, post signing day that he understands the role that it plays and he's going to use it to their advantage when they need to. And so they'll go through spring ball and they'll look at their wide receivers. And if they need to go get something from the portal, I'm sure they can go find somebody just like with Bryson Reeves committing on signing day, they can go find guys under the radar. That's never been a struggle for the university of Utah. We'll call it a Pablo Cano special. And I can explain that on a later podcast. Uh, so good luck to Veltre Jefferson. I hope that you land uh, where your heart truly wants to be and, and where you can find peace and, and ball out and excel. Uh, that's really what I want for all these guys, most of all. But then also I want Utah to win games. It makes my job a lot easier and fun. Another bit of news, Quinton Ganther officially hired as an offensive assistant in Jacksonville. He'll be joining former Utah coach Urban Meyer there. Uh, it's interesting. I saw a picture on Twitter that his locker is right next to Tosh Lapoy. Uh, some Utah fans may remember Tosh from his time here in the Pac-12. Um, he, uh, it's good to see him going somewhere where he doesn't have to worry about taking his brown paper bag with him. Um, money bag, that is. Also, it's good to get him away from Alabama or wherever else he's been. But it'll be interesting to see that staff that Urban Meyer has put together. There is a major trend in the NFL of going to get college coaches to bring up to coach there because college coaches know how to develop, and the NFL needs more development coaching. A lot of the guys who have coached in the NFL are former players who have never had to work with development, and I can tell you for a fact that it is a much different game to develop players versus having players that are ready-made and all you have to do is craft a game plan. I think that's one reason that Andy Reid has had so much success in, in Kansas City is that he's brought in coaches, he's developed his coaching staff, and in turn, his staff has been able to develop players. I think his wealth of knowledge and experience has shown that 
to be very, very beneficial. I think the same thing is true at the University of Utah. So excited for Coach Q, excited to see what he does in Jacksonville. I think it's a great move for him. Weber State was a good stop. I think he learned a lot. He had a major impact there. But I think he needs this opportunity to show himself on a bigger scale. Quick little update on the coaching staff because we weren't around during football season, and I do think that it's starting to float out a little bit there. J.D. Let's try that again. J.J. Dealman is back with the Utes as an offensive graduate assistant. Former offensive lineman. Had a cup of coffee in the NFL with a couple different teams, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure he's helping out with the offensive line, but it's good to have him back in the program. Uh, For those who are worried about how much attention the offensive line gets or how much help they have, now you have Jim Harding. You've always had an offensive GA that was working with him. It'll be J.J. Dealman now who's had some experience on the next level, and he'll be able to learn and work with Jim. There's also Tavita Stevens on the strength and conditioning staff who is a former offensive lineman with NFL experience as well. And, and I think that's a pretty good group to have to nurture these young offensive linemen and really help them and develop them. I think that's where Utah is at. They have a lot of, ex- of inexperience on the offensive line. And while there is a lot of potential there, potential means nothing until you've actually developed it. And we're seeing that development happen very slowly. It does need to accelerate, especially with the team coming up in 2021. The offensive line needs to step forward and it needs to be a power position for this team. I think you're seeing that some of the players that have been in the program, like Nick Ford, have developed. I think Braden Daniels showed some development. I think we've seen development from Orlando Umana in the past. You know, everyone who's been here for four years shows that growth. Darren Paulo, Jackson Barton. There's a reason why Jim Harding does a good job of sending guys into the NFL. But what you need to do is you need to get to the point to where you're starting juniors and seniors and developing freshmen, sophomores, and redshirts. And they're slowly getting to that point to where they've got some depth and can just kind of reload and repipe guys into the program. Offensive line is a very tough position to play immediately. I promise you that physically and technically it is much more difficult than just about any position on the field other than quarterback. And even quarterbacks have a hard time as freshmen getting out there, as we've seen in the past. So rant over, wrap this up. Also, along with J.J. Dealman. Uh, Ryan Lindley is on the coaching staff, a former quarterback at San Diego State. He's working as an offensive assistant. I thought that was kind of an interesting little tidbit that a former NFL quarterback uh, was working as an offensive analyst at the U, especially in a year where they need to have production from the quarterback position. That's it for today's episode. We've gone long as always. I, I would never have thought that I'd be able to fill a half hour of podcasting so quickly, but here we are. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, rate, review, as always, on your favorite podcast platform. Tell your friends about us. For those new listeners joining us, thank you for joining in. We appreciate you. We love you. Welcome to the Locked on Utes family. It's great to have you here. Y'all have a great weekend. Enjoy your Friday. Keep your stick on the ice. This has been the Locked on Utes podcast here on the Locked on Podcast Network for Friday, February 5th, 2021.